Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are the next steps for the MLB with opening day being canceled. Plus, after a parade of upsets, the landscape of men's college basketball ahead of championship week. And the impact of Kevin Durant's return to the court for the Brooklyn Nets. It's episode 63 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. everybody here on thursday march 3rd 2022 episode number 63 coming at you of let me speak thank you everyone for tuning in wherever you are getting this podcast around here it is still cold a little warming up a little bit obviously we had the the snow last week wasn't as much as the two-foot blizzard that's how i see it um but we are in march we're turning the clocks next weekend, not this weekend, but next weekend. And that just shows me that spring is right around the corner and it's getting me very, very excited. And normally when the spring comes along, that's when baseball season, you know, everyone's in spring training, getting ready for that. But this year there is none of that as the MLB continues to be in a lockout. And this is just a really, really sad, sad day and, in the sports world, it's been a sad week. I know they're meeting for talks uh, today, but even still to see games that are canceled and they could easily be made up, made up. Uh, it's, it's just not feeling it, it. It hasn't felt good this week. It hasn't felt good hearing Rob Manfred at the podium saying the first two series of the season are going to be canceled. Even though, you know, hearing the reports, you know, at least for me, there was optimism. There was faith that, they could get this done. I mean, come on. They stayed up until 2.30 in the morning and extended that deadline on Monday, um, on Monday into Tuesday. And then the best offer for the owners was declined by the players on Tuesday before the 5 p.m. De- deadline. And honestly, this is – I wanted to – this might be the hottest take I have <laughs> since I've started this podcast. Um MLB is just in a really bad spot. And there was growing optimism too with the game. When you look at last season, you know, you get rising stars, you're getting a younger audience because you have big personalities like the two-way player in Shohei Otani. You had Vlad Jr., Tatis Jr. And then you had a great story like the Braves who lost maybe their best player. And now here they are as World Series champions. This was prime for the MLB to take advantage of it All they had to do was make an agreement and continue the season going on, but that didn't happen. And honestly, everyone's picking sides, you know, whether it's the owner's fault or the player's fault, which way they're siding. I don't really kind of have a say in all this. I lean a little bit towards the players because they do see, you know, all the money that's out there and they want to take advantage of it. But honestly, you have both sides failing the game of baseball. That's ultimately what I think, is that both sides have basically dug in their heels and have said, this is what we want. We're not going to make a change. And obviously, the reports came out that, yes, there were some things that were agreed upon, you know, expanded playoffs, um, a lottery system for the draft, you know, stuff like that. And ultimately what I got is that the players are looking for a competitive balance, um, but they didn't want to expand the playoffs and they want an even bigger CBT threshold. Now, for those of you that have no idea what that means, the competitive balance tax is essentially telling all these big market teams like LA, New York, Boston. um, If you, if your salary is over X amount of dollars, then you have to pay a luxury tax. And that's kind of what makes things competitive because then you get lower market teams like maybe a Tampa or a uh, Texas, just name, just naming a few off the top of my head, Cincinnati, you know, 
teams that don't have a really big payroll that allows them to be able to go out and get some of these big name players and throw out these kind of dollars and stuff like that to make things competitive. So it's kind of hypocritical when you're hearing the players say, Oh, we just want a competitive balance. We want minor leaguers to make X amount of dollars. Um, But yet here they are talking about a $30 million difference, a $30 million difference in what allows them to play or not. That's just shameful. I know the MLB, you know, I I favor the owners on that side of it. You keep it lower, you keep it the way it is. So you have other teams that can lure these big kind of free agents. But on the player side, they're saying, look at all this money. We want that money. You know, it's just, it's shameful to to see this be the the difference and and the reason why these sides don't come to an agreement, the CBT and the uh, bonus pool in terms of pre-arbitration, but that's the player side. The owner side of things is that they impose this lockout and they could easily lift it. Okay. Play both sides have said, we want to play. We want to play. That's what we've heard from the owners. We've heard that from the players. And if they're so concerned about the product, then sign that then don't have a lockout. You know, who cares? You know, this is, technically the first lockout in MLB. This is the first time a season's been stopped uh, since the strike. You know, there was a player strike in 1994 and 1995. That's different from a lockout. So I get that owners don't want to take that chance and have a player strike. But if you're hearing both sides say, we want to play, we want to play, then it should be simple. You can find a middle ground. You can find a middle ground for this. Now, the good thing is that only the first two series were canceled. So there leaves optimism that something can get done. So not more games can get, uh, get canceled and they can be easily made up, but in terms of cancellation, you're hoping that it's only these two series. Cause then if you go into the next week, you got to get two more series. Then after that is two after that. And after that, and after that. So you hope that this thing does not prolong, but both sides on my in my end, the players and the owners, they have failed the game of baseball. Okay. This is like a first world problem in their eyes. Oh, you you're making $215 million and you want to make 250. Yeah. Tell that to someone who doesn't make that much. Okay. It'd be more important and people would be concerned more if it was maybe a hundred thousand dollar difference and a $10,000 difference. You know, if you had someone making 10,000 a year and they're saying, "Oh, we can make 100,000 a year." That would be the difference. A couple of million dollars, that's absolutely nothing. That's first world pro- first world problems. Those millionaires and billionaires need to just shut up and sign the deal, play the game of baseball. That's all it is. And apparently they don't care about the game, they don't care about the fans. They don't care about anything other than making sure things are right in their eyes. Because if they cared about the game and the fans, they would have gotten it done by the Monday deadline and essentially the extended Tuesday deadline. But apparently they're so concerned with making 30 more million dollars that they decide, let's just not play. We won't play a season. And think about all the free agents that are out there. Carlos Correa isn't making any money right now. Freddie Freeman isn't making any money right now. Everyone who's a free agent, all they have left are the contracts that they signed. So this, this is just shameful to see both sides of it. But ultimately, you know, in terms, I said earlier about putting the blame, I don't, you know, favor one side. I, I said I kind of relate more for the players than I do the owners. Both sides are wrong. But I think the ultimate loser in this is the commissioner. It's Rob Manfred. Because this lockout has turned him into the biggest clown in sports today, okay? Not only the way he has managed this whole lockout situation, he's barely intervened. He has barely intervened and told these these two sides, get a deal done, get a deal done. And he's ultimately, you know, look at what he did in the press conference, okay? You can tell that he's clearly misinformed when you hear him speak. He said, quote, the last five years were difficult from a revenue perspective. 
uh, ding, 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 ding. They made almost $43 billion in the last five years. Okay. And that's including the pandemic shortened 2020 season. Okay. So you're clearly wrong there. I mean, he's smiling and joking at this press conference. It's just, I cannot believe it. I, you know, I've gone back and forth in terms of, you know, who was the worst commissioner in sports. I've looked at Goodell. I've looked at Bettman in the NHL. I think Manfred has clearly, he's on a pedestal right now, all by himself. And Silver, Goodell, and Bettman are all looking up at him and seeing the absolute shameful way that he is running Major League Baseball. I mean, he said, quote, we've been here the last 10 days. That That's all I can say in response to why negotiations haven't happened the last three months. You know, these have been daily negoti- negotiations over the last 10 days. They got locked out in December. In December, and you decide now within a deadline, oh, let's try and get a deal done. Let's really put our heads down and try and figure this out. It's just wrong. Absolutely wrong. And obviously he said the concern of our fans is at the very top of our consideration list. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Rob Manfred is the biggest clown in sports today. And ultimately he should not have that commissioner spot at all. He should be, I don't know how it happens, but if it were me, I would be striking to get him out of that position because he clearly does not know what he's doing. He doesn't know where the dollar lies and he's wasting him. He's wasting all the dollars by having this lockout. He just clearly doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know what he's doing. You know, this is a guy who's called the world series, a piece of metal. He's called the literal trophy, a piece of metal. And now this guy says, we're going to cancel games. We're not going to make them up. Like this is, it's a shame all around in Major League Baseball, the fact that they are still in this lockout. So to the commissioner, to the owners, to the players, get a freaking deal done. Get it done. Because all of us, you know, we may not enjoy the game of baseball, but at least it's there. At least it's there. So get the side, get the deals done so that all of us can finally end this discussion and finally get to watch some Major League Baseball. know let's talk about some action that's going on on the field slash court and we'll talk about men's college basketball and we haven't talked about it a lot during the year but it's getting to be crunch time crunch time in the whole landscape of college basketball men's and women's and we'll start with the men's side uh, for this week as the regular season is going to end this weekend you've got conference championships starting next week um, and let me just tell you Saturday was insane last saturday was nuts it had upsets left and right you had for the first time ever seven of the top 10 teams in the ap poll lost on the same day and you had everyone in the top six everyone in the top six lost on the road so if you include number nine texas tech one through six you got gonzaga arizona auburn purdue kansas and kentucky They all lost on Saturday, which is insane. Again, it's never happened before that that many teams within the top 10 has fallen, but it happened. And honestly, just looking back on the year so far, parity is raging supreme right now in the NCAA. I don't know how many teams have uh, been ranked in the top five, much less, you know, number one. I've seen Auburn there. Duke was there. Um, Gonzaga obviously is there right now, but there's hard. It's really hard to find a team to really put some faith into to say, oh, this is your standout team. This is the team you know is going to uh, the Final Four and is the championship contender right now. You can't really say that, at least in my eyes, because when you look at what happened last Saturday, you know, it's hard to see a team pull away from anywhere, anyone else. It's hard to see that. 
But I think the biggest beneficiary uh, from that uh, Saturday is Duke. I think Duke is the big beneficiary heading into that ACC tournament uh, when they wrap up the regular season against North Carolina, which, by the way, is also going to be Coach K's final game at Cameron Indoor Stadium. So you know that's going to be emotional. And obviously, he's not done yet. Coach Mike Krzyzewski isn't going to be done yet. He's obviously got the ACC tourney. Duke is going to get into uh, the March Madness, into uh conference play they could be the favorite you know if they get a good run in the ACC tournament I think they get themselves the number one seed right now they're uh at number four right now and you have to look at where everyone else is Gonzaga is number one but they lost you know they still stayed number one but in terms of you know they're probably going to be a number one seed you got Arizona as well uh ranked at number two so they're, you know, if they went out, they're going to get a number one. But then you've got uh, Baylor and Kansas. You know, if Kansas somehow comes away and wins uh, and Duke has a little bit of a slip, then that could put them in the number one. So Duke really needs a good showing in this conference uh, tournament to get themselves and reassure themselves a number one seed. You know, Duke is always that, you know, standard team where most guys or most experts would go to. But it's hard to say, you know, because they've only won the ch- title game once in uh, the last century or so. So I think Duke for, for last Saturday, I think uh, the way they were able to win their game and basically they were like the only top 10 team, maybe outside of uh, Providence or so that didn't slip up last weekend. So that's the big beneficiaries. They go from number seven to number four. And, you know, they went from maybe being on the outside looking in for a number one seed to getting themselves a number one seed. And that's huge. That is absolutely huge. So let's see what Duke can do, you know, wrapping up the season against North Carolina and then heading into the ACC tournament uh, for next week. But I think, you know, again, a team to put faith into, I can't put my faith into Duke just yet. If it was me, I would probably put a little bit into Gonzaga. I'm not saying I'm, putting a team into fate too. But right now I'm leaning a little bit toward putting it in Gonzaga because right now they look dominant. The Bulldogs look dominant, but this is legit deja vu, almost deja vu from last season. If you remember last year, um, they were very dominant. They were undefeated entering the final four. Then they had to grind it out against UCLA in overtime in the final four. And then they got blown out by Baylor and were essentially no match in the national championship game against the Baylor Bears. So it's hard to say Gonzaga is going to go all the way, but for as dominant as they look right now, can they stay that way and get the redemption? Because obviously the game against St. Mary's was really an eye-opener saying, you know, Gonzaga looking at number one right now, you never would have thought they'd be able to drop another game, but they did, and yet they're still number one. So they're getting very, very lucky in the fact that everyone else behind them lost and they get to keep that number one seed. But I think the reason you can put faith into them is because of the roster, the way that it's set up. I mean, you've got Drew Timmy, who's leading the Bulldogs at uh, over 17 and a half points per game. And he's experienced. He knows what happened to this team last year, how dominant they were. But they, but he knows that once you get into March Madness, anything can happen and you got to be on your A game. But then you've also got top draw draft prospect Chep Holmgren who everyone is saying could be the number one pick uh in the upcoming NBA draft you know depending on how things go because right now his numbers are really really good for a young guy he's almost averaging a double double at 14 and a half points per game and almost 10 rebounds per game 9.7 and he's shooting nearly 44 percent from three so you've got a big guy with size who can stretch the floor and shoot it from outside so that's why to me the bulldogs look like the top contender in my eyes if you told me fill out your bracket right now gonzaga would be my national champion to go all the way for now but that could still change within the next week or so that could still change but at this moment to me gonzaga is a team that i can put a little bit of my faith to i thought at the beginning of the year i'd be able to put it into the defending champs into baylor 
but that big 12 race is just getting closer and closer between Baylor and Kansas. And within the next week or so, that race is going to be the one for me because we still don't know who's going to be the regular season champs. And you have to think whoever has the better showing is going to get uh, the higher seed among big 12 teams. You have to think it that way. If Kansas finds a way to knock off the bears, then they could probably get themselves a number two seed right now. If they're ranked at number six, I believe, but the Jayhawks are struggling. They're really struggling. They had back-to-back losses against this same Baylor team. And then earlier this week against TCU. So where is the momentum on on Kansas side of things. I don't know how much momentum they have, you know, hopefully they can write the ship in the big 12 conference tournament, but for the other side for Baylor, I think they put themselves back into the picture. Now they've had a lot of injuries to overcome, but it's kind of similar to what the Boston Celtics have done. In the NBA, they had a lot of injuries in the beginning of the year and they were trying to figure out the rotation, but they know the guys that work, and they've put them on the floor together and they've been able to pull off a big string of games. And really it was that Saturday win against Kansas when they were ranked number 10, got them all the way up to number three in the, in the, uh, in the AP top 10. So Baylor is right back into the picture in my eyes. And I'm looking forward to see what the national champs uh, from a year ago do once they hit their conference journey and once they hit, into March Madness, but there's a reason it's called March Madness because the men's college basketball landscape could turn on a dime once we hit conference week. Moving on, we've got a lot of sub-headlines to really talk about all throughout the sports landscape. So let's dive in. It's time for another edition of Quick Hits. So starting it off, going into the NBA, of course, the talk in the basketball world has been about Joel Embiid and James Harden, the new partnership in philadelphia and it looks like they're hitting on all cylinders all three games the two guys have played together they've won they've won by more than 15 points just keep in mind it was against minnesota and then two against the new york knicks and the two team the two guys have combined for 180 points between those two james harden had two triple doubles and then a near one last night against new york so I mean, to be honest, this was a Philly team that, like I said, for weeks ago, if Harden on paper is the James Harden that everyone knows he can be, then Philly has got themselves into a strong championship consideration in that Eastern Conference with how wide open it is. You know, I could see them getting into uh, a higher ranking right now. So honestly, if you ask me, I would say that Philly is the favorite right now to seeing how they play, but I'm still kind of waiting until the next couple of games. They're going to host Cleveland, travel to Miami, and then host Chicago. So I want to see how they do in those games. I know Cleveland's struggling. Miami's got some injury problems. Think Same thing uh, with the Bulls, but I want to see how they do against really good teams because let's face it, Minnesota and the Knicks, they're not the teams <laughs> They're not, they're not good teams. They're not good teams. I No disrespect to Minnesota because they're in the playoffs right now. But in terms of elite level competition, those teams are not it at all. So I want to see what Philly does. I mean, James Harden, we know, is a great distributor. And Embiid is a matchup nightmare for anybody. But how that depth has been able to play behind him to see Tyrese Maxey improve his game a little bit, very, very impressive. So we'll see what Philly can do in their next set of games with their new dynamic duo. Sticking with the NBA, we got Kevin Durant, the game's one of the game's biggest stars, coming back onto the court tonight against the Miami Heat. He hasn't played since January 15th when he sprained his left MCL. Now, keep in mind that Brooklyn went 5-16 and 16 during that time, and they have just been struggling, struggling, struggling. And right now, they're sitting still in eighth place. They'd be in the play-in spot as of right now. 
And ultimately, I do think he's going to turn things around. But the the sticking point is, is it going to be too little too late? Has the damage already been done? Have the Nets already dug themselves a hole? I don't know if that's the case. I mean, probably they're going to limit uh, Durant's minutes just to make sure that he's okay. But in terms of making an impact, I do think he makes a small impact. I think maybe they move up a spot maybe in the play-in. But when you have teams performing as well they are, you see the Celtics performing well, Philly's hitting their stride, Miami and Chicago are getting healthier. I don't know if Brooklyn's going to be able to move up as much as they can. But we'll see what Kevin Durant does. We know when he's on the court, when he's healthy, he's one of the top five players in the league, you know, the way he's able to shoot outside. But we'll see what KD can do. Can he turn this Brooklyn Nets team around? One more story from the NBA, kind of a small headline, and that is the return of IT. Isaiah Thomas has signed a 10-day deal with the Charlotte Hornets. Now, keep in mind, this is going to be the 10th different team that Isaiah Thomas has played for. He's been with the Kings, the Suns, the Celtics, the Cavs, the Lakers, the Nuggets, the Pelicans, the Hornets, and the Wizards, I believe. I'm trying to think of the 10th team. I, uh, it, it's going to come to the top of me. anyway. Um, but anyway, I don't think it's going to last long. You know, it's a great story to see Thomas back on the floor, you know, overcoming that hip injury and all that. But I just don't know. I don't know if he's really going to be a big factor. I know he came into the game uh, last night and played well, helped Charlotte to a win. I mean, they do need an answer, Charlotte. They're looking for some kind of answer. I mean, they went 2-10 and 10 in the month of February. They've lost 11 of the last 14 games they've played. And really where they need help is in the defensive category. And IT doesn't really provide, you know, defense. You know, they're 28th in opponents' points per game. You know who they're behind or ahead of? The Kings and the Rockets, two teams that absolutely stink. And Charlotte has been struggling and who knows, maybe Isaiah Thomas is an offensive spark plug for a team that has a ton of weapons in Rozier, Bridges, Ball. Who knows? Who knows what the Charlotte team is going to do? But it's kind of nice to see Isaiah Thomas uh, back in the swing of things. I just remember the last team. He had a 10-day deal uh, with the Mavericks earlier this season. So those are the 10 teams right there. So good to see Isaiah Thomas back on the floor. <laughs> Moving to football, we talked last week about the Arizona Cardinals, what that offseason could look like. And right now, from what we've seen, it looks like the ship is being mended between Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. If you hear Kyler Murray's agent earlier on in the week, he said Kyler absolutely wants to be the Cardinals' long-term quarterback. I, I'm not sure if I, I'm buying it. I don't think I'm buying it. I'm not completely sold that things are better because... This is from a, a PR perspective in that if there is any kind of fall fallout, you know, this is them cleaning up Kyler Murray's perception of what Arizona accused him of. Because if you remember, the Cardinals said he was, you know, self-centered, selfish, pointing fingers. And so this is, you know, them, that side, uh, Murray and his agent saying, oh, look at us. We want to stay here. We want to stay, so if they get rid of us or I leave, it's not my fault because I want to be here. So it's them cleaning up the perception for Kyler Murray. So in any kind of fallout, he's not the bad guy. And so with this situation, we know it's going to be between Kyler Murray and GM Steve Kime and Coach Cliff Kingsbury because the GM and the coach got extensions through 2027. Like I said, I still expect Kyler Murray to be the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals heading into the 2022 season. You know, in terms of years after that, I don't know. Because if he's looking for big-time money, to me, he hasn't earned it yet just because he hasn't had the postseason success. You know, he's a highlight reel, but when it comes to the second half of the year, he's not quite that same guy. But in terms of the relationship, again, something to monitor as you get into the end of the offseason and into training camp. And finally, sticking in the NFL, there's another team who's going to be looking to upgrade that quarterback position, and that's the Washington Commanders. 
still feels kind of weird to call them the commanders. They'll still be the football team in my eyes. If you uh, heard from this week, general manager Martin Mayhew has said he is canvassing the league looking for quarterback upgrades because I don't know if you can go another year with Taylor Heineke or if Ryan Fitzpatrick wants to come back off of uh, the injury that he suffered. But as Mayhew said, he's canvassing the league. So that means, you know, free agency is an option. Trades are an option and uh, the draft, obviously. I don't see them being big players for the big name guys that are going to be possibly on the market, like an Aaron Rodgers, a Russell Wilson, or a Deshaun Watson, possibly. I would expect them maybe to go into the draft uh, to maybe get Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett at uh, number 11. Of course, that's been the big talk uh, between those two. I have a feeling that maybe Carolina might be going uh, for one of those two, and then whichever one they don't pick could end up going to Washington. But ultimately, Washington's got to figure out that quarterback situation. I mean, they haven't had a good quarterback in D.C. since RG3, and he only lasted like two seasons. And I know everyone's going to get mad. Oh, what about Kirk Cousins? Listen, he only lasted a year, and they let him walk for an insane amount of money in Minnesota. So the the commanders, again, still weird to say that, but the commanders have got to figure out that quarterback position because if they don't, it's still going to be a long time before we see Washington as legit contenders, especially in the NFC East for uh, how bad they are. So we'll see what Washington does heading into, uh, you know, heading into uh, the draft. Then you get into free agency and all that kind of stuff. We'll see what Washington can do in terms of upgrading that quarterback position. And that for this week has been Quick Hits. up it's our usual let's get local segment of the week and of course we continue to talk about the two teams currently in action the Celtics and the Bruins so let's get right into and talk about that Celtics team who continues to defy all expectations that we had earlier on in the year they continue to roll they've got a successful stretch uh, after a big rally against Atlanta the other night now they've got a huge game coming up tonight against Memphis. And before we get into the Memphis matchup, let's talk about what happened against Atlanta the other night, rallying from 17 down, including a 14-point deficit at halftime. And they were able to beat Atlanta. But the good news, bad news side of it is that Jalen Brown sprained his ankle and he's going to be out for the game against Memphis. And right now, this team is 20-7 and in 2022. They've won 14 of their last 17 games. Talk about a turnaround for this Celtics team. And you have a lot of people saying, you know, are they true contenders? Are they strong contenders right now? Well, at this moment, they're still six in the East. They're tied with, I believe, Cleveland right now at five games back of top seed Miami. So there's still a chance they can, you know, if they continue this role that they'll be able to get themselves into that home court spot of possibly a four seed or maybe even a three seed possibly. But my expectations are still at the five or six seed. What's interesting though, is that again, the East is so tight that they have to continue to keep winning because they're only one spot out from the play-in and Toronto is only a game and a half back of uh, Boston right now for that sixth spot. And we know Toronto has been playing well recently. So one slip up and the Raptors are going to be right there, overtake them. And sure enough, you might be playing Brooklyn in the uh, play-in. You obviously don't want that. But I think from what I saw uh, in the Atlanta game, at least, is that, you know, when Jalen Brown went out, there was no panic. There was no set aside. And obviously, Atlanta, you know, they're not a top team, but they're still a very dangerous team. They're still dangerous. They've got a lot of great shooters. Obviously, they got Trey Young. Um, But to see this team sort of rally and, and find those pieces, I mean, Grant Williams was electric in that fourth quarter, knocking down back-to-back corner threes, finishing with 18 points. And then you had Derek White also off the bench with 18. And then you just saw Jason Tatum elevate his game. Uh, The team continued to pass the ball. And I think that's what's crucial 
for however long Jalen Brown is going to be out is to continue this sort of ball movement and not rely so heavily on isolation like they did last year when it was a lot of isolation with Tatum, isolation with Brown. You know, I do expect, you know, Tatum's probably going to be picking up the slack offensively uh, for the next couple of games. And you clearly saw that against Atlanta when he scored 33 points, eight rebounds and seven assists. But I think they're going to get more plays probably for Robert Williams down low, you know, depending on the matchup with Steven Adams, possibly. Uh, But then you've also got Al Horford who can stretch the floor um, and then get some other weapons in there. As I mentioned, integrating Neesmith and Pritchard, getting them some more minutes. You know, Pritchard had a great game against Detroit, uh, scoring 19 off the bench and had a big uh, fourth quarter in that game against the Pistons. So we know this team can find the offense, but it's just a matter of continuing to move the ball around. And it starts tonight. It really starts tonight against Memphis, who's 43-20, and number three in the West. And I think for the recent stretch that they've had, I'm talking, you know, since uh, they really turned things around in the new year in 2022, this is the biggest game. I I know I said Denver at first was, but this this is very big. I think Memphis is better than Denver. And this is a Memphis team that has all their pieces. You know, Denver was missing Jamal Murray. Um, Memphis isn't missing any. I mean, Dylan Brooks is missing, but he's not a giant threat like all these recent teams that they've played. So I think early on, you have to establish that second scoring option. Who's going to be that go-to guy probably behind Jason Tatum and then just continuing passing at a high level. But I'm looking at that defense because this has been statistically the best defense in the NBA since the new year in uh, 2022, you know, the way they've been able to deny teams, you know, limit their scoring options, but obviously the matchup is going to be John Morant versus this defense. I mean, Morant in my eyes, got himself into the top three in the MVP voting Uh, right now for me in no particular order. I think Joel Embiid is the favorite, but then after that you have John Morant and DeMar DeRozan. And I mean, come on, look at what he did earlier in the week. He scored 52 points, 52 points. And this dude has highlight reel play after highlight reel play. So how is this defense going to slow him down? How are they going to do that? Well, I think first off, you got to limit those fast breaks. This is a Grizzlies team that loves to run up and down the floor. Obviously, Morant being number one. So you got to limit those fast break opportunities. Obviously, it starts by limiting the turnovers as well and not getting yourself into those mismatches. And I think when you see Morant in these isolations or possibly driving to the basket, I think you got to bring out the double team and really just make him beat you with his outside shooting because he's not the best shooter in the world. I mean, he's only shooting, I think it was 34% from three-point land uh, last time I checked. And obviously he's shooting like 44%, but that's because most of his baskets are at or near the rim. So I think you're probably going to have to get Al Horford or Rob Williams for, you know, a double team whenever he starts driving. You know, I'm very curious to see what Ime Odoka does uh, for that strategy to try and limit him. But even if you can't limit Morant, um, you got to be satisfied with everyone else beating you. I mean, that's, that's ultimately what it comes down to for this Celtics team. Because if you look at the Grizzlies statistics, John Morant's averaging over 27 and a half points per game. The closest active player uh, to that is Desmond Bain and he's shooting 17 and a half points per game. That's a 10 point difference right then and there. So you slow down Morant, you're fine with Desmond Bain taking a bunch of threes. You're fine with Steven Adams eating you up down, uh, down low. You know, all these other guys, Jaron Jackson Jr. having the matchup advantages. That's all it is. You're okay with having all these secondary players and all these other assets for the Grizzlies beat you, but it's about limiting John Morant. So that's a matchup that I think the whole nation and the is, is going to be watching for. The whole basketball world is going to see the top defense in the league in the Boston Celtics and the most, you know, explosive player probably in the game in John Morant. That's going to be a fun matchup, at least for me to watch. How, how do those two line up with each other? And what does John Morant do to try and uh, try and get ahead of this defense? We'll see. But I think for the Celtics, you just got to continue the offense, even though you don't got Jalen Brown and you got to limit John Morant. That's going to be the crucial part for the Celtics team. If they want to continue 
their winning ways against a tough team like this. So you got a Celtics team that's winning, but you also got a Bruins team that's kind of been struggling. You know, they had a five game winning streak, but then they had it snapped against Anaheim. And I got to watch that Anaheim game in real time, got to see the end. And boy, was that a heartbreaker for the Bruins. I mean, first off, you're going into the first intermission after the first down three, one, you're down three to one. And here they come making the comeback. And then when it gets to three, three, then you got Charlie McAvoy getting called for a hook and all the ducks needed was 20 seconds to get a power play goal from Zegris. And your chance to at least get one point is thrown out the window because of just silly, silly mistakes. And it's mistakes and slow starts, which continue to hinder this Boston team. It's really three things, you know, that ultimately have hurt the Bruins in recent memory. And that's defense, terrible turnovers, and uh, just bad mistakes, just bad, bad mistakes, bad mistakes, slow starts, turnovers, you know, all those coming together. And that's what's hindered this Boston team. I mean, they've had some great performances uh, in games before them, but once you get to Anaheim, it was, you know, you got some life, you got some life coming down from three, one, you tie it up and then you let one mistake go. And with 21 seconds to go, the ducks steal a point from you and they get to get two on the board. And, they they are in a good playoff position. As I said, I still feel comfortable with them at least making the postseason, but you want to get, you know, it's all about position right now. You still got a ton of points right now on Detroit right now, who's the next best team in that wild card. But you've leapfrogged the Capitals at one point. Now you're chasing Toronto to at least get that number three spot. You know, how do the Bruins respond? We'll have to see, but they're getting closer and closer to getting back home. They've got Columbus tonight. Uh, and then they've got a couple games at the Garden. So you're hoping that this team can turn things around. But on a positive note, you know, you got great goaltending in Jeremy Swayman, who got named the NHL Rookie of the Month for the month of February. And I don't see anyone else who could take that with the numbers he's put up. He's 5-1-1, one, 5-1-1 one, one one in the month. His goals against average is 1.13, one, one and his save percentage is 960. That's the best in the league in that span of time. I mean, Jeremy Swayman is going to be the goaltender of the future. That's what it is. And I ultimately think that's the guy you're going to trust when you get into postseason play because Linus Omar, he's okay. But if you're still going to continue to split time, you want to take advantage of the matchups. And most matchups, if you look at it, favor Swayman. So I would put Jeremy Swayman, you know, once it gets time to the nitty gritty in the postseason play, that's the guy where if you told me these are your two goaltenders, Pick one of them to start. I'm going with Swayman. I'm going with the guy wearing the number one. I want him in the crease. I want him in between the pipes because for as young as he is, he looks like a veteran with the kind of stops that he makes and the way he manages the game. So props to Swayman for winning rookie of the month. And then obviously your offense gets better and better, including a guy who still has his trade request out there in Jake DeBrusque. And he is making things very, very difficult, not just from a fan's perspective, but in the front office. Because, I mean, he had a great game in Los Angeles against the Kings. He got his first career hat trick, his first career four-point game, and the Bruins beat the Kings 7 to nothing in an absolute blowout. And this is hard for me because I think, you know, for this team to have as much success as they have, they got to have as many pieces as possible. And unless, you know, the perfect trade is out there for Jake DeBrusque, I don't see him going anywhere other than in the black and gold. And I know he made the request, but this is something you could probably get done in the off season or something like that. Because when you look at how DeBrusque has carried himself, you know, you appreciate him being professional and not being a distraction for this team, you know, unlike the James Hardens or the Ben Simmons of the world, you know, he's still wants to be traded, but, He's continuing to play uh, with this team. And it looks like he's having a great time because if he's playing like this, it's hard to see them not getting rid of DeBrusque uh, at the trade deadline once we get near the end of March. Because, I mean, he's getting more ice time like he wanted. He went from, I think it was 13 minutes a game to 15 minutes a game. Uh, Bruce Cassidy's put him on the first line. He's out there with Pasternak and with Marshan and Bergeron and Taylor Hall and all the top guys. And he's putting up points. I mean, he had his first hat trick 
once he got moved to the first line. So I guess maybe it's an idea to hopefully see if he turns things around, if he maybe takes that request back. But, you know, he spoke, I want to say a few days ago and said, you know, he's not being a distraction. And this is really the first public comments that he's made since having the trade request or uh, requesting the trade, I should say uh, from him and his agent. And he's just been really professional about it. You know, he said, you know, I know you reporters want to know the things and that's totally okay. And he's, he avoided saying, you know, he's not taking back his uh, trade request. So it looks like it's still out there, but I think Don Sweeney is just in a tough position where you think the best chance for them to win is to have DeBrusque out there on the ice. So maybe if there's a big postseason run and they get better and better, maybe DeBrusque says, huh, this, this is actually working out. Let me stay with this team. Cause he's still very young. He's 25 years old. So there's still time to turn things around for uh, DeBrusque and this Bruins team, if they really want to keep him on. So I think as, as long as he doesn't become a huge distraction, I think in my eyes, I expect uh, Don Sweeney, Bruce Cassidy and this whole team to keep DeBrusque on the ice. And I think he's going to get more time because we're seeing how well the combinations are working when we're seeing Cassidy move all these lines around, you know, shifting around the first and the second line, putting a bunch of different pairings together. So it's hard to see DeBrusque going anywhere else just because of the way he's been able to play. So we'll just see what the Bruins do. There's still plenty of time before the trade deadline. I believe it's March 21st is the deadline. So there's about two weeks or so, two or three weeks until that deadline. So a lot of things can still happen and we'll just see what happens with the Bruins and the Celtics if they continue to get on these hot streaks. Lastly, to end our show, as we always do, we look at our LOL moment of the week. And before we get into our moment, I want everyone who's listening to keep your eyes open on our social media pages. We've got something fun planned for March Madness. So keep your eyes and ears open for that. And it does relate to our LOL moment, uh, not just for this week, but in weeks past. So keep your eyes and ears open on our social media pages. But diving into this week, Our LOL moment of the week for this week is going to DeAndre Jordan, the former Lakers big man. And he had a pass in a game against the Dallas Mavericks that essentially sums up the Lakers season. And how does it sum it up? Well, it's nowhere close to the target. You could say that with the season and this pass. It is so bad. You see DeAndre Jordan trying to push the floor, and it's about maybe five. You need about five players to try and track that down, and they'd be stacked on top of one each other. But it was really, really bad. And ultimately, it was the play that drove him away from the Lakers. He got waived by the Lakers. Rumors are the Sixers want to pick him up, and the Lakers are going to fill that roster spot by Jordan with DJ Augustine. And ultimately, when you look at that play for Jordan himself, that's why he never takes more than like eight dribbles a game. You know, he's he's a very one-dimensional center. He's a great defender, but he's more of a lob threat. You know, he's an under-the-basket kind of scorer. He doesn't really do anything else. And just the way that they've tried to gel everyone on that Lakers team, again, nowhere near the target, which is not only for the pass, but it's the whole Lakers season. Everyone thought postseason, 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 and they are nowhere close to that. They are multiple games under 500, but they are still in the play-in spot. They're still in the play-in spot, and they could still make the playoffs if they turn things around. And if you hear LeBron James and everyone else saying, hey, until you bury me 12 feet under, we're going after the playoffs, and there is still hope for the season. But ultimately, the moment could have been, you know, the little spat between, LeBron, Russell Westbrook, Trevor Reason, and a couple of fans. Because let's be honest, if you're a Lakers fan, you're struck. You're you're baffled by the way uh, things have been going. You know, this is the Los Angeles Lakers, the team 
who's tied for the most NBA championships among franchises with their rivals from Boston and the Celtics. And here they are at, I think it's 27 and 33, totally mismatched with uh, some, you know, other teams. They had the comeback against Dallas, but then they got blown out by New Orleans. I mean, come on, this is LeBron James we're talking about. This is Russell Westbrook. And depending on what happens with Anthony Davis, you know, this is AD. You got three guys on the top 75 uh, for the NBA all-time list. And to see them struggling the way they are, it's it's somewhat comical, but it's also kind of sad. You know, I'm not the whole pit is despair kind of thing. And I did say last week uh, to watch out for what LeBron James does if he wants to force his way out of Los Angeles. He has said himself that he wants to be in L.A., but come on, just keep your eyes and ears open. If you see guys like DeAndre Jordan throwing wild passes nowhere close, you know, you could really say that every moment could be a Lakers moment, the way that Russell Westbrook has hit the side of the bas- uh, the backboard so many times. And then you got this pass from DeAndre Ayton. Or, I mean, there's so many things that the Lakers have done that could have been in our LOL moments of the week. But for this week, it's DeAndre Jordan for a pass that was so bad you got cut from the Lakers, you've earned yourself into this week's LOL moment of the week. So that wraps it up for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in wherever you are getting this podcast. Make sure, as always, you follow our pages on social media. We're talking Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.